fire, holy and unholy. The shock is immense. For several weeks and many chapters, the longest prelude in the Torah, we've read of the preparations for the moment at which God would bring his presence to rest in the midst of the people. Five parshiot truma tetzave kitisa vayakel and pekude describe the instructions for building the sanctuary, and two vayikran tzav detail the sacrificial offerings to be brought. All is now ready. For seven days, the priests, Aaron and his sons, are consecrated into office. And now comes the eighth day when the service of the Mishkan will begin. The entire people have played their part in constructing what would become the visible home of the divine presence on earth. With a simple moving verse, the drama reaches its climax. Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out, they blessed the people. God's glory was then revealed to all the people. And just as we think, the narrative has reached closure. A terrifying scene takes place. Aaron's sons, Nadav and Avihu, took their senses, put fire into them, and added incense. And they offered unauthorized fire before God, which he had not instructed them to offer. Fire came forth from before God, and it consumed them, so that they died before God. Moses then said to Aaron, This is what God spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, I will show myself holy in the sight of all the people. I will be honoured. Celebration turned to tragedy. The two eldest sons of Aaron die. The sages and commentators offer many explanations. Nadav and Avihu died, they said, because they entered the Holy of Holies. They weren't wearing the right clothes. They took fire from the kitchen, not the altar. They didn't consult Moses and Aaron, nor did they consult one another. According to some, they were guilty of hubris. They were impatient to assume leadership roles themselves, and they didn't marry, considering themselves above such things. Yet others see their deaths as delayed punishment for an earlier sin, when, at Mount Sinai, they ate and drank in the presence of God. All these interpretations represent close readings of the four places in the Torah in which Nadam and Avihu's death is mentioned, as well as reference to their presence on Mount Sinai. And each is a profound meditation on the dangers of over-enthusiasm in the religious life. However, the simplest explanation is the one explicit in the Torah itself. Nadav and Avihu died because they offered unauthorized, literally strange fire, H. Zara meaning that which was not commanded. And to understand the significance of this, we have to go back to first principles and remind ourselves of the meaning of Kadosh, holy, and thus of the Mikdash as the home of the holy. The holy is that segment of time and space God has reserved for his presence. Creation involves concealment. The very word olam, universe, is semantically linked to the word ne'elam, meaning hidden. To give mankind some of his own creative powers, God had to do more than create homo sapiens. He had to efface himself, what the Kabbalists called tzimtzum, to create space for human action. No single act more profoundly indicates the love and generosity implicit in creation 
God, as we encounter him in the Torah, is like a parent who knows that he must hold back, let go, refrain from intervening if his children are to become responsible and mature. But there's a limit. To efface himself entirely would be equivalent to abandoning the world, deserting his own children. That God may not and will not do. How then does God leave a trace of his presence on earth? The biblical answer isn't philosophical. A philosophical answer would be one that applies equally at all times in all places. But there is, we believe, no answer that applies to all time and all places. That's why philosophy can't and never will understand the apparent contradiction between divine creation and human free will, or between divine presence and the empirical world in which we reflect, choose and act. Jewish thought is counter-philosophical. It insists that truths are embodied precisely in particular times and places. There are holy times, the seventh day, the seventh month, the seventh year, and the end of seven septennial cycles, namely the Yovel, the Jubilee. Then there are holy people, the children of Israel as a whole, within them the Levi'im, within the Levi'im, the Kohanim. And there's holy space, Israel, and within that Jerusalem, and within that the temple. In the desert they were the Mishkan, the holy, and the holy of holies. The holy is that point of time and space in which the presence of God is encountered by Tzimtzum, self-renunciation, but this time on the part of humankind. Just as God makes space for man by an act of self-limitation, so we make space for God by an act of self-limitation. The holy is where God is experienced as an absolute presence. Not accidentally, but essentially, this can only take place through total renunciation of human will and initiative. That's not because God doesn't value human will and initiative. To the contrary, he empowered us to use them to become his partners in the work of creation. However, to be true to God's purposes, there have to be times and places at which humanity experiences the reality of the divine. And those times and places require absolute obedience. The most fundal, fundamental mistake the mistake of Nadav and Evihu is to take the powers that belong to man's encounter with the world and imply them, apply them to man's encounter with the divine. Had Nadav and Evihu used their own initiative to fight evil and injustice, they would have been heroes. But because they used their own initiative in the arena of the holy, the place and time reserved for God, that was their mistake. They asserted their own presence into the absolute presence of God. And that is a contradiction in terms. That is why they die. We err if we think of God as capricious, jealous, angry. That was a myth spread by early Christianity in an attempt to define itself as the religion of love, superseding what they called the cruel, harsh, retributive God of what they called the Old Testament. When the Torah itself uses such language, it's because it's speaking in the language of mankind, that is to say, in terms people will understand. In truth, Tanakh is a love story through and through, the passionate love of the creator for his creatures that survives all the disappointments and betrayals of human history. God needs us to encounter him 
not because he needs mankind, but because we need him. If civilization is to be guided by love, justice, and respect for the integrity of creation, there must be moments in which we leave the I behind and encounter the fullness of divine being in all its glory. That is the function of the holy, the point at which the I am is silent in the overwhelming presence of there is. <clears throat> That's what Naravanavihu forgot, that to enter holy space or time requires total humility, total renunciation of human initiative and desire. The significance of this fact cannot be overestimated. When we confuse God's will with our will, we turn the holy, the source of life, into something unholy and a source of death. The classic example of this is holy war, jihad, crusade, investing imperialism, the desire to rule over other people, with the cloak of sanctity, as if conquest and forced conversion were God's will. The story of Nadav and Avihu reminds us yet again of the warning first spelled out in the days of Cain and Abel. The very first recorded act of worship led to the first murder. Like nuclear fission, worship generates power which can be benign, but it can also be profoundly dangerous. The episode of Nadav and Avihu is written in three kinds of fire. First, there's the fire from heaven. As it says, fire came forth from before God. That was the fire of favour. It consumed the burnt offering and consummated the service of the sanctuary. Then came the unauthorised fire offered by the two sons, Nadav and Avihu. And then came the counter-fire from heaven, the fire that came forth from before God and consumed Nadav and Avihu so that they died. The message is simple and intensely serious. Religion isn't what the European Enlightenment thought it would become, mute, marginal and mild. It is fire. And like fire, it warms, but it also burns. And we must be the guardians of the flame.